Welcome back, everybody. It's that time of the week. Your favorite time of the week. Yeah, your the favorite. The one you look forward to. This is the 15-minute segment. The best part of your week is this 15-minute plot right You've here. You've been waiting for it. It's the Text Lab. David Craw here with the one and only hey, Jake. It's Med Jake. Freddy. Yep. Jake, I feel like it's been a while since we've been on the pod together, man. It has, man. I was with Kyle like two two weeks ago or something. New guy getting all all the quality time with you, man. I'm I'm getting jealous. I love it. Yeah, we got lunch uh, like a month ago or something. It was nice. We got Jack's Urban Eats. Oh, yeah. Next level. It was good. It was like a little date. Dude, I never take you to Jack's (laughs) Urban Eats, so. (laughs) No, you take me paddle boarding, and that's what's fun. There you go. Well, this is not a... Podcast about our personal, yeah, it could be, but you know, food choices and uh, leisure activities. But this is the text lab where every single week we do a deep dive into the text to help you prepare for your life group, to help you do some study on your own about what God has said to us in His Word. Our hope is just that the text lab would help you have meaningful study conversations about God's Word. A very easy passage. Yeah. This week. This is cake. This is as easy as it gets. Unfortunately not, but it is good. It is deep. It is rich. We are diving in to Romans 9, 14 through 23. Jake, do you want to read that for us? I'd love to, yeah. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? A lot here, Jake. (laughs) I feel like even reading that, I'm like, just dang, dude. Your brain is already getting stretched a little bit. Yeah. Uh, How does tone, timing, and theology play an important part when coming to a passage like this? Yeah, dude. I feel like it's everything because... The beautiful thing about reading the word and using the word is it doesn't stay just for us. Like Mm. we have this maybe quiet time with him and we're reading through the word, but the word is done in real life with real people, with real emotions and with real stories. Yeah. And so we have to keep that as the groundwork for jumping into a passage like passage like this, because, uh, this isn't where I would start with someone who doesn't like Jesus. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> You're not going to be like, hey, how about we just open up to Romans yeah, 9, yeah. 13, 14, let's dive in. Uh, yeah. So like what what I think is fun about the text lab is we are working on theology, yeah. but it's important to root it in good timing and with good tone. Yeah, I think that's just so important because... You see actually Jesus do this over and over yeah. again with people when John 1.14 describes him being somebody who's full of both grace and truth. Mm. 
he talked differently to different people. He yeah. talked to the rulers of the uh, religious order differently than he talked to the woman at the well, differently oh, than yeah. he talked to the woman caught in adultery. And he different. He talked differently to Nicodemus than he did even to his disciples and different things like that. And so just being aware of that, using thoughtfulness, especially if you're diving into this with your life group this week about um, – striving and wrestling with really good theology, but then keeping the tone in mind, how you say things really matters, keeping the timing in mind. And then especially if you're walking with somebody who isn't following Jesus yet, that would change the way that you would talk about a passage like this with them um, as you just help them walk in their spiritual journey and their spiritual timeline. There's a few key themes that pop out in a passage like this. Some of the big, big hitters, some of the big theological themes that the church has really been wrestling with for hundreds of years. And we're going to solve all of them in the next 12 minutes. That is our guarantee to you, the listener. It is black and white. You're going to be good after this. (laughs) Unfortunately, we can't make that promise. I wish we could. But what we can do is wrestle with the tension that is there in the text that I think actually leads you to a really good place, a place of worship, uh, a place of continued wrestling, a place of awe, which is actually, I think, a lot of what Paul is trying to do um, in this passage to to just describe to us the depths and the um, mind-boggling stretching of God's character and nature mm-hmm. and, and really who he is. And so a few, few key themes here that pop up. God's sovereignty and mercy is one of the main ones. This is going to kind of be mm-hmm. the big, big theological issue that pops up in like a Romans 9 text. It's really just wrestling with this. How is God divinely sovereign over all things? How has he chosen some through divine election? That is really, you really see this all over scripture. So yeah. just to dive into this for just a second you really open up scripture you are going to see god choosing people for salvation from the beginning Mm -hmm. um from really right after the fall god chose noah god chose abraham he chose Mm -hmm. the the lineage to that will bring about salvation through christ he chose these people to be the blessing and you see the divine sovereign hand of god at work yet also in scripture you see free will talked about over and over again um god holds people accountable for their choices Mm -hmm. so somehow at the same time divine sovereignty is operating with real free will and we don't know exactly how that plays itself out but that is kind of one of the main things that paul is talking about in this passage is what is going on there if god divinely elects people if he divinely chooses people um, for salvation, then what challenges come up to that? And then Paul kind of resolves it. So looking even at verse 14, he says, what shall we say then is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Um, He's saying God is the one who has chosen. He's the one who is God over all. And continuing on, he quotes Moses there that, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it does not depend on human will, but on God who has mercy. And he continues then to kind of talking uh, through what happened with Pharaoh, that God had raised up Pharaoh for that very moment that he had hardened Pharaoh's heart. So then God has mercy on whom he wills. He hardens whomever he has wills. Thinking whoever he wills, thinking through the author's intent of this passage, Jake, like what do you think Paul is even maybe trying to like very specifically describe to a Jewish and Gentile audience, what do you think his goal is even from this passage? Yeah, man. Uh, I think there's a few. I think 
we have to look at all of Romans and understand yeah. the whole context, right? Like he says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, like in, in chapter three, um, that none of us deserve this. Yeah. And it's important to start there. And then he's going to dive into five, how like through Christ, chapter five, how through Christ we're justified. Mm. There's that good news there that we're justified, sanctified, promised glorification. Um, and here in, in chapter nine, I think he's still continuing this argument, but he's trying to almost point uh, a timeline a little bit of mm. what our walk with Christ even looks like a little mm. bit, like from the point of creation to the point of glorification, yeah. he's almost laying out like step by step by step, all these things. And I think for the Jewish and Gentile audience, especially, this is a huge question understanding Israel and mm. the old Testament history. There is like, I mean, the question is, is this fair? Like, yeah. d- is God, how is it fair that like God can choose some people yep. or not choose other people and yep. choosing people, you are not choosing people mm. at the same time. Mm. And, but what we were talking about even before, as we were kind of just talking about this, David is like, this isn't really Paul's main point to dive into yep. and solve yep. the issue of predestination, election and free will and yep. how that works yes. together. And, and Jake, I think that's a, a fantastic point because that suddenly changes how you start to read and understand the passage as well. You're able to kind of like, understand it with a little bit more colored lens when you start to understand maybe Paul's talking about this because he's trying to talk about unity in the church Mm. in a Jewish Gentile context, not just how salvation happens. So there's a lot to glean here about how salvation happens because Paul is describing to us some kind of like uh, theological method. He's he's describing to us a little bit about God's character and nature and a little bit about like, hey, God's uh, divine election, but ultimately he Paul lands on a metaphor to describe that. Yeah. He's like Potter and Clay, dude, guy down the street that's like making pots and clays. That's like the best way to understand yeah. your salvation. Jeez. So he's not writing a systematic theology book that's here. Good. What he's primarily addressing is disunity that would have been in the early church because of their backgrounds, because of their heritage, because of this this kind of like collision of societies and cultures mm-hmm. that was happening in the first century as the church came together. You had the 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 historical. Hebrew world and Jewish background coming together with this like very um, kind of like modernized Greco-Roman world, Greek world that was colliding and they were both believing in Jesus. And so you had all these different groups, you had Gentiles and Jews coming together. um, and, And so suddenly they're wrestling with what is salvation and who is saved. And I think Romans 9 is really just reiterating a lot of what Paul talked about in Romans 1, 2, and 3, that everybody needs salvation, that it's not dependent on on you. It's not by um, who your great-great-great-grandfather was, as Paul continued to talk about Abraham and Moses Mm. to a Jewish Jewish world. It's not on anything you can do or attain as he talks to a Greek world. It is on God's sovereignty. That is where salvation comes. Um, And he kind of talking to primarily even his Jewish audience, he references these Old Testament passages in support of his ar- arguments. The the one where he ta- talks about Moses there, that comes from Exodus 33, 19, where Paul references God's statement to Moses about having mercy on whom he will have mercy. This highlighting God's sovereignty and his right to show compassion. compassion. In this passage as well, Paul is hyperlinking basically Malachi 1, 2, and 3, and Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 is where Paul's drawing that imagery of the pottery and the clay. Um, So I encourage you to go back and read Jeremiah 18 and take a look at that imagery and picture that Paul is using to show God's creativity and his divine 
unsovereign authority um, in the midst of that. But ultimately, as we read it, to understand, Paul's trying to talk about unity here. And there is this theological issue of divine sovereignty and human responsibility that comes up. Um, But that's maybe even secondary Mm. in Paul's intent to really kind of bring unity to the church. Um, And really, as you look later on in the passage, Paul really leaves them in this place of humility in 21, um, where he's talking about has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another dishonorable use. He's really like, who are you to tell the potter who the potter is, which really kind of leads us, leaves us even in a place of humility in this passage. Yeah. And he began the passage there in, in Romans nine. Like he has heart wrenching humility as he says, I'd, I'd like, if I could, I'd give up my salvation so that my Jewish brothers could, mm. could receive this, yeah. this gift. But, but ultimately it was their like voluntary decision to reject the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good also to note that, um, in Ezekiel thirty three eleven, like we know this principle of who God is, it says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they mm. would turn mm. from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Yeah. So God's heart for these people is not that they would yeah. turn. He's not irrationally just picking some people and not picking other people. Yep. Yep. So that's something that we can cling to. But also it leads us to this place of like, oh, I'm not God. Yeah. Yep. I'm not. Like I don't. Yep. And while this um, might not make a ton of perfect sense to me, I'm still like so full of humility and full of joy and full of praise because like he saved me. He saved me and I don't know who else he's going to save. And so I'm going to still evangelize. I'm still going to preach the gospel. I think a good example of this is Acts 1811. Um, like where Paul is, is kind of the main character here with the Holy spirit. And it's where, um, he's been in this city and God directs him. He says, I still have many people in this city. Uh, they're my people. And so what does Paul do? He stays for another year and six months, just preaching the gospel. Um, I think sometimes maybe the alternative to that, if we're kind of fatalistic is to say, well, if they're going to get saved, if they're chosen, they're just going to, you know, they're going to do it. And I don't need to do anything. I don't need to pray for people or pray, watch step or have um, disciples. But Paul's response is not that he's saying like, People need to hear the gospel so that yeah. they can respond yes. to it. Yes, which actually really actually then ends up becoming a very encouraging thing right. for your prayer watch list for as you're talking with people, as you're sharing the gospel is like, hey, God's chosen people. If it was just dependent on us, mm-hmm. if it was truly this like 50-50 equal choice, two problems with that. One, no one would choose God. Yeah. I think that's kind of what's key to understanding here is like, as you're even thinking about the like bigger idea is this isn't the, this isn't you walk, you know, into the mall and you decide, Hey, what store do I want to go into? I just kind of got to like pick which one. I, this isn't like, do you want to have Pepsi? Do you want to have Coke? Which one do you yeah, want to have? Yeah. And you're making the choice. No, this is you are bought on the bottom of the ocean floor. Dead. Dead in your sin. Broken stuck and God reaches down and picks you up off the bottom of the ocean floor and chooses to save some. So actually that is very, very encouraging that there are, there are those that God has saved. God is combating evil in such a way that he is choosing to reach down to the bottom of the ocean floor and save people. The, the who, what, where, how, why behind all that, we have to trust in God because, and ultimately it helps us to not make God just in our own image. If we were the ones who were just making things like this and deciding how salvation worked and deciding who got saved, who would be God then? We would be God. But ultimately, this is this place that I think really does leave us 
in this place of worship, leave us in this place of trust, leave us in a place of, I don't fully understand how this works. I don't fully understand all the different pieces of it, but I understand what the text is saying. I understand the tension that the text is saying. And I think can ultimately be a like really important throne of your heart moment to come to a place of worship, to come to a place of trust, um, to just acknowledging God, you are God, you sit on the throne and acknowledging the proper place of who's God, who is the ruler, who is the one that is overall, is it, is it me or is it God? Any other just ways this is, you want a personal implications? Honestly, I think it might sound very simplistic for me to say this, but I really uh, would encourage just read the text, like sit Mm. in the, in the text and, and sometimes we bring in our own ideas into the text, but spend time just, what is the text actually saying to me right now? What is it saying to Paul or what is Paul saying, excuse me, to the Jews and to the Gentile readers of this, especially the Jews? Like we bring in all these other things and sometimes even bring in like systematic theology of it, of like making sense of everything. It's like, read the text, read the text, do your best to really deep dive, just take a sentence Mm. and read that sentence and, and meditate on it and ask for that wisdom there because that is going to ingrain it into our souls and give us some more um, understanding there. I think that's been one thing I need to yep. work on a yep. lot more. Yep. And, and like, sorry, go ahead. Totally. No, the, the so did I cut you off? No, you're, you're fine. Go, you're, you're going, I think, <laughs> I think with that too, sticking to the text, like two ways that this topic goes kind of astray, I think is when people start arguing over divine election mm. and free will. And it's like, oh, that's not Paul's intent here. Right. Is to try and like create this environment just for people to fight over it. And yeah. you end up who can quote more Bible verses or it just becomes this divisive thing. But then also he's not sidestepping the issue. Yeah. Like he's not, he's not digging, not digging in and wrestling really, good. really well and hard with this and saying, no, there's something here to recognize who's the creator. Yeah. Who is the potter? Who is the clay recognizing our true and proper place and role um, before God, who is divinely sovereign over all things. And so somewhere in there, there's a middle zone between saying none of this matters and also then not like going too hard in the paint on Calvinism and Arminianism and fighting over divine sovereignty and uh, free will. That's so good because our main theme with this like Roman series is church unity. Mm. Like that's what Paul's trying to get at. And so he's not throwing these little things in to say, okay, here, go fight over this now. And like, (laughs) let's have as many divisions as possible. It's like, but also that's a really good word from you of like, lean in. Yeah. Think hard about your faith. That's really, really, really good. Um, How we think affects our heart and that affects our hands. So that's, that's big. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, well, listener, thanks for hanging out with us. We hope that this was helpful for you. And whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, as usual, driving in the car, <laughs> or whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text. Yeah, and always do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you. And, and we love you all. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.